Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. I do have a subject on my mind today, logical salvation. We encounter logic in the computing world all the time. Computers run on logic. Our lives, to many degrees, if they're running properly, need to be running on some logical basis. You're making all kinds of decisions, and you may not think of it as logic, but there's some sort of mechanism in your brain that's helping you make decisions and understand things. If you're someone who likes to read, you are engaging in logic. Language is based upon logic. You can't have sentences, words, paragraphs, literature. You can't have any of that without logic. And you may not think about logic in that way. Uh, You may think of logic as something far more formal than that. But it's definitely true. Without words that have definitive meanings, without words that have specific purposes, like whether being a verb or a noun or an adjective, having their roles to play, without the ability to string that together in a way that has rules around it and and imparts different sorts of meaning. All of that is logic, and it's necessary for us to communicate with one another, for us to get along in our lives, and it's necessary for us to have access to the Word of God. God's revelation to us is imparted in language, and language rests upon the foundation of logic, understanding words and how they go together, subjects and verbs and all these sorts of things. So it's very important that we have a logical approach to the Word of God. And to the extent that we apply what we find in the Word of God, I'm referring to that as logical salvation. Um, Before we get into that too terribly much, I want to look at a prerequisite to learning. We've been looking into uh, the things that are required for Andrew to get into school at different places. And if you're going to take certain classes, there are other classes that are referred to as prerequisites. You know, what are the prerequisites to be able to take this class? Sometimes if you're going to take a calculus class, for example, well, you need to have taken college algebra and you maybe need to have taken any number of other courses as prerequisites to make you a candidate for taking calculus. So we recognize that situation is in play when we're talking about things like attending a a school and taking certain classes. There's an order and certain things that have to be in place for you to be able to learn the next things. So as we get into this idea of looking at an aspect of logical salvation that I want us to look at today, I want to spend a moment looking at the spiritual prerequisites. What do you have to have in place to be able to enroll in this logical class of instruction that we're going to step through here in a minute? You can't just walk in off the street and be ready to do this. A person who has had no math and has no understanding of any mathematical principles, if you plop them into the middle of a calculus class, they're going to be just as lost as a goose. Because there's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be there for them to be able to pick up and run with and start to understand something like calculus. This is even more true in the spiritual realm. As you start thinking about being taught logically from Scripture, there's some prerequisites that have to be there. And the Lord Jesus Christ refers to them in Matthew chapter 5. And there's one in particular I want to look at. Verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, 
Jesus Christ is describing the blessed state of a regenerate person, someone who has some measure of desire to understand something about righteousness. An unregenerate man who has no such spiritual inclination is not a candidate for this logical salvation or this logical instruction from the Word of God because they have absolutely no interest in it. It's just like, this this doesn't interest me at all. I think the Bible's a bunch of nonsense. I don't think I can get anything out of it. I'm not interested in listening to it. I just soon listen to the radio, listen to music, go play golf, go fishing, do any number of other things and take my mind off of whatever the Word of God might say. I don't have any interest in it. So there's got to be a spiritual inclination that exists if you're going to enroll as a student in this class of logical salvation that you see taught in the Bible. This is not for everyone. One of the prerequisites is that you must be born of the Spirit of God and have this hunger and thirst for righteousness for any of this to come to pass. Now in Romans 8, there's a reiteration of this idea. Romans 8, 5 talks about this same principle. You say, well, why can't someone who doesn't have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, why can't they just enroll in God's logical salvation? Can't they read it and understand the things as well? Well, perhaps they can on some language level. They could read what the Bible says and maybe say, I think this text here is saying something. And they might understand what it's saying. The problem is they don't believe it. They don't have the Spirit. They don't have faith. So they can read it and technically say, I understand what these sentences mean, but I don't believe it's true, right? So that's the sense in which they are not candidates for this thing. And, and if, as if that was uh, in question, if you had some questions about that. By the way, the reason I belabor this point is because much of Christianity takes this angle on it. They say that literally anyone can enroll in the logical salvation course that's taught in the Scriptures. The Bible is written to everybody, and everybody can come up, and if they will just avail themselves of the opportunity, they can receive this instruction. But we know that that is not the case, and we know it for things like what's said in Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 5, it says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. You see, he's created two categories here. you got those who are after the flesh, and their minds are set on fleshly things. And those who are after the Spirit, and their minds can be and should be focused on spiritual things. Now, the spiritual person's kind of got two natures, right? They can run off after carnal things as well. But it's talking, you know, kind of best case scenario here. So what this is saying is, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. This logical salvation that the Bible instructs you in is a spiritual teaching. So if someone is unregenerate and they are of the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. They have no thought of this sort of thing that you're talking about. They don't regard it as the truth, right? You might be able to teach it to them as if it was some mythology, and they say, well, I understand the story of the mythology and how these people believed about certain things. They just don't believe it's the truth, right? They don't receive it as truth. So this is very similar to what Jesus said to Nicodemus about that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. These things are separate from one another, and if you're just in a fleshly mindset, an unregenerate man, you don't really have access to spiritual instruction. That's the idea. 
And why is that? Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Again, he's juxtaposing these two mindsets one against the other. Because the carnal mind, which is all that the unregenerate have, they simply have a carnal mind, no spiritual sense whatsoever. The carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So it's not a, well, if they had enough access to the law of God, they would, they'd come around, right? They'd, eventually it would soak in. No, it says they cannot be subject to the law of God. They just have absolutely no access to it. By the way, this is why we believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation, because this condition is absolute in the Bible, and it's a condition such that if God does not change a man, he's never going to receive logical instruction in the Bible in the form that it's presented. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you were going to sit down and uh, you're a carnal man, you're an unregenerate man, and you're going to have someone instruct you in the Bible, if you could receive that instruction and put it into application and benefit from it, I don't think anyone would say that would be unpleasing to God. If a man could do that, I think you would have to say that's something that pleases God. If someone will receive his instruction and will apply it and will live in accordance with what he's been instructed... Well, that would be a good thing that God would be pleased with. But this says they cannot please God. And if they cannot please God, and those things would all be pleasing to God, it follows that they cannot do those things either because they can't receive that sort of instruction. They're minding the things of the flesh. That's all they're thinking about. And then it ends in verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He's talking to the converted folks at the church at Rome. And what is the condition of being in the Spirit? It's very interesting. It doesn't mean you're doing everything right all the time, right? How does he define it? If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. What he's basically saying is if you are born again, God is dwelling in you, you have a spiritual mind. You're the sort of person who can apply that spiritual mind towards the logical instruction that comes out of the Word of God. Okay, so do you believe, are you a professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today? If you believe, you are born again. That's what the Bible teaches. That means you're this person. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, you are a spiritually minded person. You're not the carnally minded person who's cut off from this instruction. If you are born again, you have met the prerequisites. School is in session. And church and your role here as a disciple, that is a learning endeavor. We are to teach from the pulpit. That's part of the Great Commission, so to speak. So we're supposed to be teaching. If you've got the prerequisites of being born again and having faith and an interest in spiritual things, as is described here, you have met the prerequisites and school is in session. And this lesson can be enormously profitable for your life. Now, I look out across this assembly, and we have very few young people here today, which is not always the case. We have some folks out today. So we've got a little bit more of an assembly that's tilting towards being older. So that allows me to say some things that probably resonate with just about everybody. 
if you look back over the course of your life and you think about what are the top three mistakes I've made in my life, how do those things cause me all sorts of trouble? You don't have to share that with anybody, but I know we've all got them, right? Everybody's got their things that you go back and you think, man, I wish I had done this differently. If I had not been this way, I would have avoided all sorts of heartache and pain and difficulty. Man, I wish I would have avoided that. Well, I think just about everybody, if you've got any miles on the odometer, you've got some thoughts like that, and probably, honestly, even some young people do too. But what a value it would have been to know then what you know now, right? That's the benefit of hindsight is the way it's spoken of in common parlance. If I knew then what I know now, I've heard a lot of people say there's a sense in which you don't really understand what your youth is when you have it. And then when you get older and you start, I can't, I can't, you know, work as long as I used to. I'm not, I've lost the stamina I once had. I'll, you appreciate it more in the rearview mirror than you did at the time. And I think I can say that almost everyone I've ever asked this question to has answered it in the same way. If you could go back to an earlier time in your life, maybe you're 18 or you're 15 years old, if you could turn back time, if you had the opportunity to do that, would you do it if you couldn't take your current mind with you? In other words, you'd forget everything that you've ever learned and all that stuff. And I've talked to people about that over the years. And most people are like, I think I've learned a lot. And I'm not sure I'd want to go back unless I could take back what I've learned and kind of redo some things. I think in that mindset, we're pointing out that there are things you can learn. And there are things that we've learned. Many of them we've learned through bitter experience in our lives. And if you could import that knowledge back and have a chance to live your life over again, maybe you could fix some of those things. I'm not so sure that we would fix a lot of them, honestly. We might just introduce new ones. We're still quite fallen and, and uh, we have a lot of issues with how we think about stuff. However, many of the things that we run into that are problematic are things that we might have avoided had we heeded the instruction that we find in the Word of God. And that's what I mean by logical salvation. Now, I want to say this. There's a lot of people in religion and in Christianity who just who will launch out against logic. Say logic is bad, you know, that's, a, that's rationalism or whatever. But it, it's good and it's necessary in discipleship, and it's instrumental in being stable and rooted in the faith. If your religion is all just touchy-feely stuff, you don't really understand the logical arguments that people like Paul and the psalmist and the writer of Proverbs step you through, you're going to have a shallow understanding of these things. But as you understand the logic that sits underneath it, you become more soundly rooted in the faith. And it's intended as you learn these things to inspire you to more and more obedience because you're understanding the why. You know, why? Why do I want to do it? When you're a kid and your mom tells you, your dad tells you to do something, a lot of times the kids start, well, why? You know, I want to know why. Why do I do that? Well, we're curious about that. Perhaps if we knew the why and understood the logic behind it, we would be more apt to obey God in some things. So I want to look at Proverbs 2 today. And I want to look at it as an exercise in logical salvation. I mentioned the computing world, and I've mentioned this before in preaching. The concept of Boolean logic 
it's the idea of how you could string together a series of yes no kind of questions and turn it into a logic tree that would allow you to do all sorts of things and this is the idea upon which computers are based everything computer is a gigantic box with a bunch of on off switches inside it down in some microchip and those things are assembled in such a way that allow it to do much more complex questions and calculations and things like that every bit of that is based on logic Without logic, you would not have any sort of computing or anything like that. But that's the concept. And in writing a computer language out, if you're going to program a computer to do something, there is something in the old basic language that's called the if-then statement. If this condition is met, then do this. And that fundamentally is the basis of all computing. And it's logic. It's just simple Boolean logic, yes or no kind of logic. The same principle is applied, this same logical principle is applied in the Bible. If you'll notice in uh, Proverbs chapter 2, the third word there is if, right? You'll find this all through the Bible. And if you're, a, uh, if you're anyone who's ever written computer code from a long time ago, this kind of pops out at you like, well, this is kind of like code that was written there, you know. And in a sense, it is. It's God's code for how you ought to live your life. This is the decision tree he's going to lay out for you. And he's going to explain the ifs and thens. Down in verse 5, you'll see the then sitting there at the beginning of the verse. So here's God's if-then statement, his logical statement that is going to instruct us in something. Now, my son... If thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, there's an if statement there that has eight conditions on it. There's eight things that he says you ought to do. Let's look at them again. Hide my commandments with thee, incline your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding, cry after knowledge, lift up the voice to understanding, Seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasures. If you'll do these things, then something's going to happen. Shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That is a very simple if-then statement found in the Bible. It's God's code for how you ought to live ethically in this life as a disciple and pursue God through His Word. So, those eight things, and to my way of thinking about it, some of them kind of overlap. They, they kind of interact with one another a little bit. If I were to try to boil those down, summarize them into maybe three things, it would be something along the lines of listen, apply, and value. So listening is like, I know it's true. You had to pad the prerequisites we talked about to believe it's true, right? If you didn't. So in that sense, to do the sort of spiritual listening he's talking about here, you got to meet the prerequisites. So we've already checked that one off. We've got the prerequisites. We have a spiritual ear. We can listen, right? That's why Jesus said, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. That's what he's talking about. You've got that kind of ear. You need to listen. Listen to what I'm saying. Apply. 
right? So there is a way that you can learn the lesson just by listening and then turn around and say, but yeah, I hear that, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to apply it. Well, you don't really understand the lesson at that point, right? You might say, well, I know I'm supposed to listen to the Word of God, and I know the Word of God is true, and I hear what it's saying, and I affirm that that's true. But I'm not going to do it. Now, it all sounded pretty good right up till after, you know, I affirm that it's true, but I'm not going to do it. Now, how do you reconcile I affirm that it's true with I'm not going to do it? I mean, it's just rebellion, right? It's just open rebellion. And what it really says is you don't really believe that it's true as much as you say you believe that it's true. You know what I'm saying? If you really believed it was true, you really committed yourself to believing that was true, wouldn't you live in accordance with it? Well, this is, this is kind of where sin crops up for all of us. Uh, especially if you're a disciple who's been in the Lord's house for a long time. You hear these things over and over again, and then you come into an instance where you say, well, but I'm just not going to do that this time. Oh, ye of little faith, is going to think how the Lord would put it. But that's where the problem comes in. It's in applying the thing that you were taught. Putting it into practice. Very, very important. And then this third one is value it. So this is talking about seeking her as silver and searching for her as hid treasures. It's like, it's not just saying the Bible is there and I guess it's okay. It's not, it's got some good lessons in it or whatever. I don't really pour myself into it. I'm not seeking her as silver. This is talking about having a regard for the truth that is commensurate with the amount of value it can bring into your life. You can avoid all kinds of horrible stuff just by, think about this, seeking her as silver. So I mentioned the three mistakes you've made in your life that, that you'd like to go back and erase, whatever they may be. In most people's lives, some of those mistakes have something to do with maybe a bad investment or losing a lot of money or wasting a lot of money on some unprofitable thing. And you think, well, I wish I could do that. The thing I thought as a child, this is a minor thing, but I thought, how many quarters... So I'm of the video game era. How many quarters did I feed into video games that were in the shopping centers when I was a kid? I mean, I don't even know. I know it was a lot. And it's a small fortune that I fed into those machines just to play that game for two or three minutes, you know. And I think, what would that look like if I could have that back, you know? In some instances in our lives, the mistakes we've made have actually had a financial cost to them. And... You think, well, if I had had the wisdom that would have helped me avoid some of those mistakes, it would literally mean I would have that value back, right? I'd have that money back because I wouldn't have spent it on some foolish thing. That means that the instruction there was as good as gold. You see what I'm saying? It had that sort of value, though we tend to not think of it that way. We tend to think of, well, that's something that's on a printed page. No, these precepts that you can learn and put in practice are tremendously valuable. They're valuable like money. The way we think about money and value, this is more valuable than that even. And it's not just because it might save you some money at some point. It's because it might help you avoid all sorts of difficulties. So listening, applying, and valuing. And I think these things, they all kind of work together, right? If you listen, but you don't value it and apply it, it's not going to do you much good, right? 
if you value and apply it, I know, I know that I think you, you'll find examples of this. I see people, oh, I think I, I value the Word of God and I try to live as close as I can to it. But I'm not darkening the door of a church. I'm not going and getting any instruction in it. I'm just making these affirmations that I value it and I say it's important. But I'm not being instructed in it. Well, if it was really that important, wouldn't you take up instruction in it and learn and and profit from it even more? So these things kind of all need to work together. There's a sense in which valuing it might drive your ability to listen to it. If you say, this is valuable, maybe I ought to listen better, right? And there's a sense in which the more you listen and the more you apply it, the more you begin to see, you know what, this, is, this really is valuable. And so these things begin to feed on one another, and you need to have them all working together kind of synergistically to get the benefits from it. I'll show you an example. I like to use this. I may have mentioned it a, a few weeks ago. It jumped out at me years ago in John chapter 8, in verse 31. Uh, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My word, then are ye My disciples indeed. Right? He's not talking about just listen. Just listen, you know, it'll make you feel good. And after you've heard the feel good message, just go home. He's talking about continuing in his word. He's talking about applying it. He's talking about recognizing what Jesus said was valuable. I need to apply it in my life. I need to listen, apply it, and value it, and continue in his word. Live my life in a way that's in accordance with what Jesus taught. And if you do that, you are a disciple indeed. You'll be one who, by your very deeds, is showing forth that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is the verse that comes before, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He's not talking about knowing salvation by grace. He's not talking about that doctrinal truth, although that's certainly in play in his ministry He's literally talking about what we're seeing over here. If thou wilt receive my words. And if you are going to listen, apply, and value the things I'm telling you. Putting them into practice. This is how you're going to know the truth. You're going to know the truth because I told you the truth. You practiced the truth and you saw the benefits of practicing truth. Particularly in light of seeing a whole bunch of other people around you who totally disregard the truth. And have all manner of ruin visited in their life as a result of it. That's the sort of truth he's talking about. No, he's talking about the truth of following him as a disciple. Now, if you'll do these things, the listening, applying, and valuing, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's very interesting that it says you'll understand the fear of the Lord. Now, I believe God imparts to men... An innate fear of God in regeneration. Paul says there's no fear of God before their eyes, speaking of the unregenerate. Like that's one of their attributes. They don't fear God at all. Which implies that a man that's been born again, he has some healthy respect for God. He knows there is a God. He may not understand a whole lot else about God, but he understands there is a God that's going to judge this world someday. And I know I'm not perfect, so that doesn't doesn't seem like it's going to work out too well for me. That's why they need to hear the gospel, right? But this is talking about understanding the fear of the Lord. I think this is like understanding why that fear of God is needful and purposeful in your life. If you say, I just fear God, but that you go on living your life in such a way as if God is not ever going to judge or condemn or chastise His children, 
you're just going to have mountains of consequences heaped upon you. And in that sense, you may have the fear of God, but you're ignoring it. And so you're proving you do not understand the fear of the Lord. You see, because it's got a purpose. Part of its purpose is to prevent you from living in ways that you shouldn't. So if you'll do these things, thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Verse 6, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of His mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Now a buckler is a small shield that you use in a sword fight, kind of the small Roman shields. Understanding these things and learning the precepts of God is a form of protection for your life. You're going to have many assaults on your person in the spiritual realm as you walk through this life. They're going to come time and time and time again. And the Bible often speaks in military terms. It's intended to get you to wake up and think about the reality of the spiritual battles that face you. If you were going to have to fight in the arena and someone was going to come after you with a sword and start trying to hack away at you, you would find a buckler to be extremely handy in that instance. Some ability to block those types of blows. And and if you have nothing, you're going to be in really bad shape in a situation like that. So the imagery here is maybe not so resonant with us as it might have been in the first century when you know about combat and bucklers and those sorts of things, how people would fight one another back then. But it's an important piece of armor to have. Verse 8, He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of His saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. There's a very real sense in which you understand this on the backside of it. Now, you may obey God by faith, and you are saying in some sense, I understand Him when you do that. I understand what He's... I at least understand that He said to do this. I may not understand why so much, although He's telling you why in His Word, is He not? But there's a very real sense that once you have lived this way and you've seen that deliverance in practice, you understand it even more so than someone who just affirmed it academically. You see, you can, you can look back and see that was a deliverance in my life that I experienced as a result of obeying God. Verse 10, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant to thy soul. This section is kind of like what I say is the benefits of this if-then statement. If you do these things, then you're going to experience this logical salvation. It's an if-then statement. And here's the benefits that come out of it. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things. There's people who are going to assault your Christian faith and say, well, you're just an old stick in the mud. You're not having fun. We're out having a good time doing all the fun stuff. I mean, why are you even going to church on Sunday anyway? It's a beautiful day outside. Weather's starting to get warm. You get the boat ready. We're going to go to the lake every Sunday for the next however many weeks. This is commonly practiced all around us. Well, look at those people. I see people all the time who have 
left the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and have joined the first assembly of Bayliner. There's many people who have left the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and are showing up at the church of Harley Davidson on Sunday morning. People do it. I rode with Sonny Bonner. We were driving around the other day and he was telling me that there's 22 churches between his house and Harmony. You know, so if you're riding a Harley Davidson around on a Sunday, not going to church, enjoying the beautiful weather, driving around doing that stuff, you're riding all over Arkansas, you're probably passing 100, 200, 300, 500 churches while you're riding around all day long. And there's got to be some aspect in the back of someone's mind who's doing that that's thinking, those people are nuts. Why are those people going to church? Don't they see it's beautiful outside? I mean, we're out here. It's crazy. Why are you doing that? What benefit does that do to your life to go in there and hear somebody reading out of a book that was written a long time ago, not really relative to the modern world of fuel-injected Harley Davidsons? That's the sort of scorn that people will heap on the belief and they'll speak forward things. That's just silly. Why don't you get out and enjoy the world that God created See America on a Harley Davidson. Well, there's a lot of that going on. But you'll be delivered from that. And I suspect that many of you, if we were to talk about this in a sidebar, you would say, it has been a great blessing to my life to be in the Lord's house. I look forward to hearing something from the Word of God. And it's more important to me than riding around on a motorcycle. As fun as that might be. By the way, there is Saturday too. So... I'm not launching out against uh, anybody who wants to ride a motorcycle around. If you want to do that, that's great. But there's other days to do it, are there not? And you don't have to miss church to do those things or to own a boat or go fishing or whatever. It's a matter of priorities and important. what's important for your life. So those people speak forward things, and you can be delivered from them, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Well, that's what we're talking about, right? Just, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to, I don't have any interest in it. I'm going to do something fun. Who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, and they froward in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger, which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. Well, that's clearly alluding to sexual immorality. And our society has just completely jumped the rails on that issue. They've got Baskin Robbins has got 31 flavors of ice cream. And our society's got 31,000 flavors of sexual immorality out there for whatever perverse proclivity you want to express out there. And they delight in it. Nothing more boring in the world than coming into a church and listening to the Word of God declared. But if you are living in that way and departing from the other way, it's going to be beneficial. You're going to, you live in that way, you're going to realize what you're getting here is more valuable than silver. It's more valuable than some sensual experience that the world is offering up to you that may have some fleeting pleasure in it, and then on the backside of it, it's nothing but a bunch of bitter consequences. And we all know that that's the truth, but the devil likes to hide the stinger in those things. And it does come back to bite at people in the end. They're crooked and froward in their paths. 
Verse 18, for her house inclineth unto death, her paths unto the dead. None that go into her return again, neither take they hold of the path of life, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men, and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. Every bit of that resides in one chapter of the Bible in Proverbs in an if-then statement. The Bible here is laying out a logical salvation for you. If you will do this, it's going to go well for you. You will be saved from the horrible consequences of practicing sexual immorality or being a froward person that is flippant about the matters of serving God. You'll be safe from all the consequences of that if you will just value the Word of God, if you will listen to what's taught, and you'll apply it in your life. That's a logical salvation that's laid out before you. It's not that difficult to understand. It's apparently just difficult for people to accept. So I hope that's a blessing to you. I do appreciate your good attention. I hope you can benefit from the logical salvation that's laid out in the Bible. I would challenge you as you're reading in the coming weeks, maybe read Proverbs chapter 3. There's more logical salvation laid out there. There's there's a lot of them in the Bible. I hope that maybe from now on when you're reading the Bible and you see these if statements, there's a lot of them in the Old Testament. If you'll do this, then this is going to happen. In programming, there's what's called the if-then-or, which is, you know, it tells the consequence if it's something other than the if then. Or this other thing is going to happen. And a lot of times in the Bible it follows that form. If you'll do this, it's going to go well for you. Otherwise, here's all the bad stuff that's going to happen. That's a logical salvation that's laid out for God's people. If you have been born again and you believe you have the faith that meets the prerequisite for you to be able to engage in that sort of instruction and profit from it. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.